0: everybody. Awesome. It's good to see you and it's uh, good to be back. I've been gone a little while. I wish I had a really cool story to tell you about how I ended up like this, but I don't. Um, I was uh, attempting to run somewhere where I probably had no business attempting to run and it didn't end well. Uh, I ended up uh, taking a big tumble down some stairs. So, Um, and that was actually, that was back in November, the beginning of November, uh, that I did this and I uh, it's just, it's, it's taken that long. Some of you have been trying to get through the healthcare system. You know what I'm talking about. Actually, it was a couple of months of thinking it'll go away and, uh, and then ending up at the doctor's in terrible pain. Uh, she, she literally said to me, like, how did you do this? And when I told her, she said, yeah, you probably shouldn't do that. That was like, that was her advice. Um, <clears throat> And then uh, MRIs and uh, physical therapy and eventually surgery. So I had surgery a couple of weeks ago at um, Rebound. And when I got there in the morning, some of you have been through this, you know how this is, but you get there and you check in and I'm in pre-op and they're hooking me up to stuff. And so uh, nurses are coming in and the anesthesiologist and the surgeon are coming in. And I noticed that they're all kind of wearing their scrubs and, you know, the doctor's coat and all that, which was actually... Quite encouraging for me, because I've been doing some research the week before on on clothing. I was studying this topic of clothing because I knew that I'd be preaching this sermon, and I decided to write the sermon mostly the week before surgery, because writing it uh, a week on um, painkillers didn't seem like a great uh choice. So uh, I've been thinking a lot about it. So when I'm there that morning, I'm thinking about some of the research that's been done on people who wear doctor's coats and scrubs and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to share that a little bit with you as we dive in. So a choice that we all have to make every single day is what we're going to wear, right? Just all, we all have to do that. And some of you put more thought into it than others. I don't want to point out who you are, but you know who you are. And so some of you maybe got up this morning, and uh, it took you a little while to pick out your outfit, you stood in front of the mirror, Mm, you changed a couple of times and what you wore this morning was very thoughtful, you put a lot of time into it and some of you were different. Um, You just grabbed whatever was nearby, you put it on and uh, here you are. But you had to make a choice, every one of you had to make a choice this morning on what you would wear. And we also know that in our culture, um, there are appropriate clothes to wear for different situations. So, for instance, this is kind of my typical garb when I'm preaching, but if I'm doing a uh, memorial service like I did recently, or a wedding, I'll probably be wearing a suit and a tie, the whole bit. I always tell people, if I'm wearing a suit in your honor, it's probably not good. But, um, you know, but on the other hand, if I'm doing yard work, uh, I'm not going to wear a suit and a tie. I'm not even going to wear this. I usually wear shorts and a t shirt and a hat, and I'm good to go. On the other hand, if I'm in Nicaragua and I'm digging a ditch in a 110 degree day, I'm not wearing short pants because in that culture, you don't do that. So you wear long pants and sometimes a long sleeve shirt. Why? Because that's the culture. That's what you do there. That's how you show honor. Um, when you're in a social gathering, you know, when you're at work, you wear different things. I understand how that goes. But research says, That our clothing matters. It matters probably more than most of us would like to believe. It impacts what other people think of us. So, again, some of you dressed this morning with that in mind, right? What other people would think of you. Some of you didn't really care about that, but the truth is it does matter, and we often judge other people based on what they're wearing. It impacts how we think about ourselves. How we dress often impacts how we think about ourselves. It impacts our mood. It impacts our confidence. They say if you're wearing certain clothes, going into a confrontational situation, it gives you a little confidence if you're wearing certain clothes. It can set us at ease. We can wear things that put us on edge, right? If the collar's a little too tight, maybe. Uh, we can wear clothes that will maybe open doors and opportunities, but we could certainly dress in a way that would close doors and opportunities and conversations. And in fact, research suggests that what we wear even impacts the quality of the work that we do. Not just how we feel about it, but the actual quality of the work that we do. There's this thing called enclosed cognition. Maybe you've heard of it. I never had before, and so I was... Doing some research, it's a scientific theory that our clothing affects our thought patterns, behaviors, emotions, attitudes, and even interpersonal interactions with people because of the symbolic meaning that society ascribes to different types of clothing. Right? All sounds very scientific. They've done a lot of research, and uh, which is very interesting, and some of it was germane to me on that morning that I was having surgery. For instance, there's one study that's been done again and again and again where they'll take a group of people and um, they'll give half the participants a doctor's lab coat and then they'll give the other half, not. they'll just say just wear your regular street clothes and they'll be asked to perform some specific tasks that require concentration and attention to detail. And what they found is that people wearing the white coats make less mistakes, are focused better, and they're more efficient than people in their everyday clothes. Now, there's another study that's been done. This one is really interesting. Uh, they have a group of people, and everyone receives the same lab coat. But half of them are told that it's a doctor's coat, and half of them are told that it's a painter's smock, right? You know, like if you're going to paint a landscape or something, and you want to look all ar- artsy, right? So, and then they were asked to perform the same set of intensive tasks. And what they found was the people who thought they were wearing a doctor's coat were able to focus better, focus longer, and they made half as many mistakes as compared to those who thought they were wearing a painter's smock. So what's this all about? Well, the hypothesis was this, that people embodied the expectations of the clothing they were wearing. And doctors are known to be detail-oriented, scientific, and attentive, and painters are not, you know. (laughs) They're, They're more about feelings and waiting on inspiration and the muse to strike. And There's been a bunch of other studies done with students, you can almost see this one coming, where some uh, wear uniforms and some students do not. And what they found in study after study, and by the way, in culture after culture, is that students who wear uniforms uh, attend school better, Uh, they are more likely to adopt the mindset of, of being a serious student, and they perform better on assignments and on tests. See, the bottom line is, to some degree, how we dress influences how we think and how we act. Today I want to talk about that, but I don't want to talk about this kind of clothing. I want to talk about a different kind of clothing. Let's call it relational, spiritual clothing. And we find that in our text today, in the book of Colossians, chapter three, um, and I'm going to read this for us. I've been working out, so I can lift my Bible. (laughs) Seriously, I'm glad we only have like three verses. Uh, I'm going to read for you from um, Colossians, chapter three, verse 12. Paul says this, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has to complain against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so so all so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray as we open up your word this morning in just, just three verses. But you are calling us to do something that uh, our our world, our culture would find unnatural, uh, unnecessary, and yet you have called us to these things because they are important. They are are vital. And so I pray this morning, Father, you would help us to fix our attention on your word and that your spirit would make our our heart as good soil that receives this important word you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. So today I want to talk about this concept of dressing for success, that Paul is calling us to dress uh, in a different way. Now, if you have a job, probably most workplaces have dress codes, and maybe you work at a place where you have to wear a uniform, uh, and that can be okay, it kind of makes what you wear easy. Uh, maybe you have to wear, in a, uh, wear something more formal like a suit or a tie or maybe it's office casual where you are. I read it the other day about a place where they have pajama Friday. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Just don't, don't go there. All right, in verse 12, I want you to notice something. Before, Paul's gonna tell us, oh, this is, see, we're not on camera, so this is okay because my wife kept telling me, I don't know how you're gonna preach without moving your hand. Um, don't take pictures and send them to her. Okay. Uh, I want you to notice that before Paul tells us what to do, he's gonna remind us of who we are. This is absolutely key to this passage. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Um, Several things that Paul says about us. He calls us three things. He says we are chosen ones. The Greek word is electos there. You don't even need to know Greek to know what we get from that, right? The idea of elect, the idea of of chosen. Um, Sometimes it means to select something. In Deuteronomy 7, we're kind of cued into this whole concept. It says that God chose Israel. He chose them not because they deserved it and not because they were better than other people or more than other people or more holy than other people. God chose them because he chose them. God's ways sometimes are inscrutable to us. We're not sure why God does what he does. But God chooses, and he's reminding us here that, that no one becomes a Christian solely by their own choice, by their own will. That God is involved, that God has chosen us, that it doesn't, be, it doesn't come by earning it or deserving it, that God has chosen us according to his grace. So he's gonna say, first of all, remember this, that, that God has chosen you, that's, that's important. Why has he done that? Well, a second word he uses is the word holy. Hagios in the Greek, which has the idea of being set apart. It has that idea of being uh, kind of taken out of the world and set apart for God and by God and also being morally pure, uh, blameless, and and sacred. God has set us apart uh, because of his grace and not our merit. And in this context, here's a way to think about it. God has set us apart for something different relationally. Not to do relationships the way the world does them, but to do relationships differently, which we'll get to in a minute. And the, and the third word that he has here is the word beloved. Um, agapao to, to love, uh, to be loved. That we are the objects of God's love. We, again, didn't earn it. Uh, we don't deserve it. We, and we may not always feel loved, right? Sometimes we may do things and say things, and, and we may think that we are unlovable. I love what he reminds us is, just remember that God's love for you has not ever been based on your performance. It is based on God's love for you, on, on God. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, can it? So remember that when you don't feel loved, when you're not sure you're lovable. But God loves you, you are chosen, you are holy, you are beloved. See, here's the point. We are who we are because of what God has done for us. We are who we are because of what God has done for us. We're chosen and holy and beloved. And because of that, God enables us to live differently in here, to dress differently, if you will, relationally therefore he says here's what you do i want you to put on some essential clothing paul could have maybe mentioned 10 or 15 but he just mentioned five and this morning you'll probably be glad that he only mentioned five in verse 12 now put on then as god's chosen holy and beloved because god has done this here's what i want you to put on compassion kindness humility meekness and patience The word put on there is the, it literally means to sink into a garment, which I kind of love, to be enveloped by the garment. And what he's saying is this, just as you make a daily decision about your physical clothes and the thought you give to that, you must also decide what to put on relationally today. How will you relate to people? And one of the key concepts here, I think, is that it involves a pre-decision, Right, you don't, you don't go out of the house and then decide what to wear. You decide first and then you go out. So I think what he's saying is before you're around people today, you need to make a pre-decision that this is how you will dress as you interact with other people. So what are they? Let's look at them. The first thing is this. First thing he mentions is compassion. He says you need to be people who daily put on clothing of compassion, uh, and mercy, and, and sympathy. Now the word compassion there and the Greek actually literally means the bowels. So you can be thankful you don't have a literal translation in your Bible here, right, where he says, uh, put on uh, bowels. Right? It, it, the reason the word bowels is there is because the, the Greeks really thought of emotion as kind of being seated in the bowels. You ever feel something in the pit of your stomach? Right? That, that's what he's saying. It's more than just acknowledging something. It's feeling for someone. Compassion is to put on a deep sensitivity towards other people, something that you feel. So you don't just see them, you feel for them. Now the ancient world was the opposite. The ancient world was merciless. If, if you were sick, wounded, disabled, if you were old, if you were blind, if you were weak, often society had no compassion for you. You were on your own. Right? There, there was no uh, social security for you. You were ignored. You might live on the streets or even sometimes outside of the city walls. But the gospel brings sympathy. The gospel brings a tenderness of heart in our relationships. Christians are to be compassionate, not just compassionate. We're called to be aggressively and actively compassionate for the lonely, for the sick, so that we don't just acknowledge them, but we feel f- for them, for people who are mourning, for the homeless, for the hungry, for the, for the awkward. I mean, the irony is that usually we try to um, avoid this kind of uncomfortable situation. Isn't that true? A lot of times we'll avoid having a conversation with someone because we know it's gonna be uncomfortable because we know that, you know, and we don't, so we sometimes put a wall between us and what he's saying here is you you break down that wall. You spend time with the people who are hurting and you feel for them. And it isn't always easy to know, by the way, what compassion means. That's like a whole nother sermon altogether. But sometimes we wonder, what does it mean to be compassionate in this situation? And sometimes it's, it's tenderness and sometimes it's tough love, isn't it? Sometimes it's confrontation and sometimes it's overlooking an offense. Sometimes it's bringing someone or bringing them in or pushing them out. But the point is that we predetermine every day to wear this this clothing of compassion. That we connect with people. Here's the second thing he talks about and that is kindness. Christotes is the Greek which has the idea of, of gentleness, of kindness. Even sometimes this means usefulness. Now figuratively the word kindness means A grace that is so saturated a person that it mellows out all the harshness. So I love that. That's such a beautiful picture. It was used to describe in those days wine that had grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. So it's kind of an antidote to the person you might meet from time to time. The Christian who says, you know, I just tell it the way it is. You ever meet people like that? Like I just say it the way it is. It might be harsh, it might hurt, it might punch you in the face, but that's just the way that God made me, right? And Paul comes along and says, well, that isn't the way that God made you. That's probably the result of your sin. And that's just being selfish. In a relationship, we need kindness. A grace that saturates a person and mellows out all the harshness. That word was used by Jesus to describe himself. When he said, my yoke is easy, it's that idea of kind and my burden is light. In fact, kindness is a quality of God himself. In Romans 2, 4, it tells us this, or, you do, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? I love the idea of the riches of God's kindness and the forbearance and patience. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant, so it has a purpose. The kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance. It tells us that God himself is kind. It's part of his nature, and his kindness has a goal. And the goal is that it would draw us into a right relationship with him. So we are to wear kindness when we're with other people, that God might use us to gently help people move forward spiritually in their relationship with God. And again, this is something we we predetermine. We have to dress in it daily, because maybe for some of us, kindness is natural, and for some of us, it's not. We're a little harsher. We like to just say it like it is. God, Paul says, no, you need to wear kindness. Here's a third piece of clothing he says to put on, humility. Now, now the word humility basically means a a humbleness of mind. So it starts with the way that we think, because the way that we act will always extend from the way that we think. So it doesn't merely mean to act humble. It means to think humbly. Now, this is a really radical thought for the people who would have read it in Paul's day. Because Greeks and Romans considered humility as a negative quality, um, as a weakness. Nobody aspired to be humble in that culture. In that culture, life was about pride and about elevating yourself and about putting yourself first and and getting other people uh, to put you first. But Christ comes along and he elevates humility to this valued virtue he really turned the idea of humility upside down. He, Jesus was God, omnipotent, omniscient, sovereign. And yet, when we look at his life, we also realize he was humble. And he came not to be served, but he came to serve. And he put the needs of others before himself. And, he, and scripture says that he humbled himself. In Philippians 2.8, it says this, in being found in human form, notice that he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. So here's Jesus, deserving of honor, deserving of worship, deserving of obedience and exaltation, and yet it says that he humbled himself. He served other people and put them first. In fact, crucifixion was the ultimate humility, uh, humiliation in that culture where you were stripped naked and nailed to a cross for everyone to come by and mock and look at, and yet Jesus did that. He humbled himself. Why? Well, he did it for you he did it so that you could be forgiven of your sin by faith as a grace of god to you and in fact jesus invited us to learn humility from him and of all the things that christ uh, invites us to learn from him this is probably one of the more difficult ones right in matthew eleven twenty nine, 29 take my yoke upon you and learn from me learn what from me he says for i am gentle and lowly in heart that's humility Jesus invites us to learn humility from him. How would we learn that from him? Well, just look at his example. Look at how he lived. Look at how he served. Look at the, you know, what he put up with. Look at what he did on the cross. So humility isn't a, a negative self-image. Humility isn't saying, I'm no one, I'm nothing. It's simply the absence of self-exaltation. It's, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking more of other people. The garment of humility is saying, I know that I am valuable to God. I know that. But I'm choosing to put other people before myself. Humility. Here's a fourth piece of of clothing that he encourages us to put on every day. Parutes is is mildness. Again, with this idea of humility. It's meekness. Now, a lot of times people think that meekness is weakness. When you're weak, you're like a, a doormat. I read about this group called the Meek Society. I don't know if you've heard of them. It's a real thing. The Meek Society, and here's their motto. The meek shall inherit the earth if that's okay with everybody. So I like, uh, that's pretty good. The reality is that meekness in scripture is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Meekness is power under control. It's a person who is strong. It's a person who has influence or, or power or authority, but they control it. In order to bless and serve others and live in the will of God, they submit their power and their authority to the will of God. In Numbers chapter 12 verse 3, it talks about Moses. I love what it says. It says, now the man Moses was very meek. In fact, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. And yet, what do we know about Moses? He, he was a man who had tremendous power. He's right? a man through whom God worked, worked miracles and signs. He could act decisively. He could confront sin and stand up against sinful people. He had power, but it was under control. It was channeled to do the will of God. I, when I was thinking of this idea of meekness, I thought of Jesus in the garden. It's just like the first story that came to my mind. Remember, Jesus is in the garden, and the soldiers come to arrest him, Do you remember that story? And he says, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And when they said it, it says they all fell to the ground and Jesus just kind of standing there looking over them and he's like, I'm sorry, who who are you looking for? Uh, We're looking for Jesus. And the whole point was Jesus was just making it clear. I'm in control. I'm calling the shots here. No one takes my life, I give it willingly. Jesus was power under control. Under the control of what? Under the control of the will of God. He was powerful and yet meek for our benefit. One writer said meekness is the garment of immensely powerful people who are controlled by God. And then he gives us one more piece of clothing to put on. It's the last one. It's the one we like probably to talk about the least. Patience, which literally means long-suffering. It has to have the word suffering in it, doesn't it? Patience is is long-suffering. Specifically here, the word means long-suffering And kindness in the face of insult or injury from other people. To be long-suffering and kind in the face of insult and injury from others. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Be patient. Because there will always be people in life who will require your patience. Amen. Right? That's the way it goes, right? And patience is more than just passively enduring, like muttering under your breath, like, you know, count down until you don't have to be around them anymore. That's not patience. Patience is actively blessing difficult people. It's, it, it blesses, it's active. It's something you must put on daily in advance, right? If you wait until you're in a situation that requires patience, it's too late. You, when you get up in the morning, you need to put patience on before you're ever even around anyone. You put it on first. And here's something important to remember about all this stuff. Paul is talking to the church. Paul is is, is talking to believers here. And part of what he's saying is this, that these garments can only be worn in community with other people. We don't need to wear these garments if we're gonna stay home all day uh, and watch Netflix. Don't need them. But if we're gonna go be with other people, be with other believers, then we need these garments. We need them. It's, it's easier to think about compassion than it is to actually go practice it around other people. It's easier to be kind when people are kind to us. It's a lot harder when they're, when they're mean. It's easier to put on humility if we're not being pushed around by bossy people. and Patience is always easier if we're not actually around any people that we have to be patient with. But, but Christians become better people in community. It says iron sharpens iron. We learn to do these things. God grows us as we put on this clothing in our marriage, in in our families, among associates and friends and enemies, in in the dorm room, in our churches. And one other thing to notice here is he says put on, and it's a present imperative. It means uh, put them on and keep putting them on. It's not just a one-time thing. We do it again and again. It's like getting dressed every day. We do this again and again, and it requires a conscious daily decision for most of us. It's not natural. I think especially when we're tired, especially when we're stressed, we need to think about this, because that's when we usually just think about ourselves, isn't it? When we're struggling with our own problems and people around us are just being jerks. Put it on again and again and again. And then I want you to notice what he goes on to say in this passage. He's kind of bring it all together for us. He's gonna say, let's, let's tie all this together. Notice what wearing these, this clothing does. How can we know we're wearing this clothing? Because it will always result in something. We'll always know it. In verse 13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. How can we know when we're wearing this clothing? Because it will result in us bearing with one another and forgiving one another. That word bearing has the idea of enduring in, within difficulties. As wearing spiritual clothes gives us the ability to bear with difficult people, to be patient, to bless, to love them, even while they're being difficult. Not like just when they're done, and we look back and laugh, and, but while they're being difficult. And notice what he says, whoever has a complaint against another. The implication in the Greek is this, that someone has wronged you and or sinned against you and you have a legitimate complaint. It's, it's legit. You have a reason to complain because they have done something against you. And this kind of goes without saying, I think what Paul's simply trying to point out is this, that the church is filled with imperfect people just like you. And imperfect people are gonna sin. And imperfect people are gonna make mistakes. And at times, imperfect people are gonna, are gonna hurt you. They're gonna, they're gonna wrong you. Right? They're gonna sin. They're gonna be proud and selfish and immature and annoying at times. So we have to bear with each other as we all go through the process of spiritual maturity. All of us in this room are, are moving towards Christ likeness, but we're not there yet. And if we're not there yet, then it means we're all gonna make mistakes, we're all gonna sin. And the only way that we'll ever get along with each other is if we bear with one another, is if we forgive one another. In fact, the word forgive there means literally forgiving yourselves. Again, Paul's just dropping this little indicator, right? What he's saying is we are a family, we are a body. There's only one body of Christ. There's only one family of God. We belong together, we're connected together. We don't live life alone, we live as a family. And when I forgive you, in a way, I'm I'm forgiving me, I'm forgiving us together, our relationship. When I refuse to forgive you, in a way, it says, it's like I'm refusing to forgive myself, a Christian community can only survive if everyone generously forgives one another. Right? That includes your closest friends and, and, and people that you barely know who have wronged you and, and sinned against you. That we forgive one another. Notice what it says, as the Lord has forgiven you. We are to imitate Christ when it comes to forgiving one another. And, and by the way, think about this. H- how did Christ forgive you when he forgave you of your sins? He forgave you of all your sins. He forgave you of your past sins, your present sins, your future sins. Not only did he forgive you of the past sins that you confessed, but he even forgave you for the sins that you maybe didn't recognize yet. Maybe you you haven't recognized that, right? Have you ever had that? A little time goes by and you're like, oh, wait a minute, I sinned back then. He forgave you for those as well. I say that because sometimes I talk with people and I say, you know, they'll they'll talk somebody sinned against me and you know, what do you think I should do? And I'm a pastor, so I only have one answer. Well, you should should forgive them. Well, they never asked for forgiveness. They're not really sorry. Well, how did God forgive you? Well, he forgave you of your sins before you even recognized all your sins, before you even confessed all your sins. We forgive as God has forgiven us. Now, here's what's important to understand about all this this is not putting on these garments forgiving one another is not a do this or else that god's you know threatening us with it, what it is is a do this because god has done this we do this because of what god has already done for us and see it is hypocritical to receive the forgiveness of god and refuse to share it with others and it is arrogant to refuse to forgive people whom Christ himself has forgiven think about the possibility that you might be in a situation where someone sins against you and you refuse to forgive them even though Christ has already forgiven them he died for them and yet you refuse to forgive them it's arrogant it's it's hypocritical and then he goes on in verse 14 and he says this and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. He talks about love as some translators will say it's kinda like a belt that you put on that holds it all together, or maybe it's like a coat that you put on that envelops everything, that we love. In fact, some translations put it this way, love is the bond of completeness or perfection of of, of the clothing we're talking about. And metaphorically, it's kinda like that outer garment that holds it all together. F.F. Bruce put it this way, love is the grace that binds all the other graces together. And without love, I would simply suggest that putting on this clothing will be excruciating for you, right? Why? Because it's, it's too hard to consistently be patient with someone you don't love. It's so hard. But it's not that hard with someone you love, is it? it it's hard to be compassionate and, and humble and, and meek, to have power under control. But with God's love, these things become possible. In John 13, 35, Jesus said this, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He says when we love each other, as we've been talking about, when we put on these garments and we actively love one another, what Jesus says is people will notice that. They, they may not agree with your theology. They may not uh, uh, you know, approve of your ethics or your morality or your stand on social issues, but they will know that you're a Christian. They will know it, whether they like it or not. Here's my question. Do people know that you're a Christian by the way that you love other believers? Can they know that? Can they they see that by the clothing that you wear for one another? People should be able to see that. They may not like it. They may not agree with it. That's not the issue. Can they see it by the way that you talk? By the way that you talk about the church and the body of Christ and the gospel? Is this true of you? So let's think about just kind of wrapping this all up. How do we apply this, the, these, these five pieces of clothing? Well, on one level, we could say that part of the beauty of the Gospels is uh, we both see the teaching of Jesus, and we get to see how he lived out uh, the truth of God and, and God's ethics and God's character. But sometimes we, we read the Gospels and we wonder, uh, about how to apply the teachings of Jesus in maybe a particular situation we're going through. So sometimes I'll get this from people. They'll say, you know, Pastor, I'm trying to figure out how to apply um, the teachings of Jesus in a particular situation in my marriage because Jesus wasn't married, uh, and so I can't really quite tell. Uh, or maybe they'll say, I'm wondering how to parent in this situation or, or, you know, I'm not sure how to do this at work. How do I interact with my boss or at school? And in 1 Corinthians, we get this helpful little concept here from Paul. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So Paul just says, you know, I looked at Jesus, and Paul had a unique relationship with Jesus back then, having uh, both been confronted by the uh, resurrected and ascended Christ and Paul had some visions and things, But Paul said, you know, I have a unique relationship with Christ, so I looked at Christ, and then I put his teaching and his example into practice, and so, you know, you could look at me, Paul says, and I, th- I think he's being humble here, but he says, you could always look at me and, and how I apply the gospel to my situation, and then that maybe that will be helpful for you. It's, it's kind of like a bridge to help us know how to apply the gospel and, and Christ's teaching to our particular situation. I would suggest that today that God has placed people around you who are maybe a little farther beyond you, spiritually speaking, in some of these areas. And they might be examples for you to to imitate. So maybe you're thinking as you go through this, well, I'm not sure how to be meek in my marriage. I'm not sure how to be humble at work. I'm not sure how to do some of these things. It may be that God has put some people around you that are examples for you. Now, keep in mind, Paul's example wasn't perfect. Paul wasn't a perfect person and and the people that you might imitate are not perfect. They don't have to be perfect, but maybe they're a few steps ahead of you in their marriage or in their parenting or at work when it comes to putting on this clothing. there's someone that you can aspire to. And so at the end of your notes on the backside, I've given you a little place maybe to identify some people in your life who really reflect Christ. Like maybe there's somebody in your life who's just a lot more compassionate than you are, right? They just, they're always feeling it. And that might actually even scare you. Like you're not sure you want to become that kind of person. But maybe God has placed them there and so maybe you could just ask them. right? You could just say, I'm trying to become more compassionate and you're somebody who seems to uh, exude that uh, and and learn from them. Maybe it's kindness. Uh, Maybe it's humility. The problem with humility is those people don't carry around signs saying, hey, I'm really humble. They're wearing one Don't talk to them. Uh, But you know, so identifying humble people may be hard. Uh, Somebody who's meek. Um, Meekness sometimes, right? They kind of stick out to us. Powerful, influential people who are just really under control. There's just something beautiful about that. Maybe there's a meek person in your life that you you could look to their example that they've set as they reflect Christ. Or maybe somebody who's incredibly patient. You know, I said at the beginning of the sermon that when I showed up, Uh, for surgery a few weeks ago, and I got in there, I noticed my surgeon and the nurses were all wearing the appropriate medical clothing. Uh, Nobody was in flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt. I was very, I was very glad that they came dressed appropriately so that they could very skillfully take care of my problem and deal with my surgery. And I was thinking as I was getting ready for surgery that, that morning, like, I wonder who needs you to show up for them today, dressed to bless them, dressed to encourage them. Maybe it's someone you're going home to. Maybe it's somebody that you're gonna to go to work with tomorrow. Maybe it's a neighbor. But somebody who needs you to show up wearing compassion. Like they need that from you right now. They need some compassion, some Christ-like compassion. Maybe someone in your world right now who needs you to be clothed in kindness, Maybe someone who needs you to show up with humility so that today it's not all about you, but it's about them. It's about blessing them. Maybe meekness. Maybe you need to show up. Maybe somebody just needs you. They've been primed and ready for you to show up, not to exercise control over them and exert power over them, but to use the power that you have to bless them and serve. Then it will blow them away. It will bless them today. Maybe somebody with whom you just need to put on a whole lot of patience so that you can bless them today. Who needs you to show up dressed and ready to bless? Two closing thoughts. This may not be easy for you. Some of these things may take some practice to put on. It might not come naturally, and so you might need to make it as part of your routine. After my surgery, so before surgery, my wife kept telling me, because I'm right-handed, you might want to practice doing some things with your left hand. And I was like, ah, I don't need to practice. That's, how hard can that be? Oh man, it's really hard. Uh, getting dressed in my left hand. Let me tell you something, and this might scare you, but driving with my left hand alone is kind of scary. Uh, you might want to watch out for me uh, when I'm coming down the road. Uh, but it takes some practice, and it doesn't come naturally. And so you might want to take this list and put it on your mirror, right? Just tape it on there, and every morning as you're getting ready, uh, just pray through those five things, and ask God to clothe you in those things today. Just decide to predetermine to wear them. The second thing is this, I want to remind you, and that is that uh, God's not saying you have to go out and figure out how to do these things. Figuratively speaking, these aren't clothes you have to go out and buy, Like fall's coming up, school's starting, maybe you need to buy some clothes for school or clothes for, you don't have to buy these clothes. You don't have to go, you don't have to create compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience, because God has already put them in you. He has already given them to you. You just have to put them on. See, Colossians, again, is all about the sufficiency of Christ. It's about Christ being sufficient for every need that we have, not only for salvation, but for living for him. And communion, which is what we're going to partake of right now, reminds us of this very thing. So I'm going to ask the guys to grab uh, the communion elements and, and to bring those forward. And if you have a faith relationship with Christ, I want to invite you to take the bread and the cup and hold on to them. And as we're passing them out, I just kind of want to set this up for us. Communion is another way of reminding us that these things that God has called us to do are things that we can only do because of what he's already done for us. Because Christ is all sufficient. And he never calls us to do something that he hasn't already empowered us to do. So he's not saying just, you know, go out and figure out how to do this stuff. What he's saying is, I already put all this clothing in your closet, so to speak, right? You don't have to get up in the morning and go, where am I gonna find compassion? Where am I gonna find kindness? God has given you the Holy Spirit and he has given you these things. You simply need to put them on. So guys, you can come forward and begin to, to pass out those elements And so communion is a great way to remind us of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I wanna read this for you and notice something. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He says, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. So he says, you can have this bread, right? You can hold on to this bread. What do we do when we hold the bread? We remember. What do we remember? We remember what Christ has done for us. What has he done for us? Well, he has given his very life. He has given his body for us. He goes on and says this in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. In remembrance, again, in remembrance of me. So as you hold on to that bread and hold on to that cup, what he says is remember. Remember what Christ has done for you. What has he done for you? Well, everything. <laughs> everything that you need. He, he died on that cross. He shed his blood for you on that cross. He made a way for you to be, come right with God through the blood and the body of Christ. When he was on that cross, he said it is finished. Everything has been done. What Christ has done is all sufficient for your salvation and for your sanctification, for your eternity and for living for Christ right now. It's all been done for you. So in the context of what we've been talking about this morning, we don't have to figure out how to do this. We don't have to go out and find the clothing and put it in our spiritual closet, if you will. It's already there. We just take it out and we put it on. And communion reminds us, we do this because of what Christ has already done for us, already done for us. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And he is coming again. I want to give you a moment as you hold that bread and hold that cup to think about what Christ has done for you. To think about the body and the blood of Christ, to think about the way of salvation that he's provided through his sacrifice for you. I'm gonna give you a moment to pray about that, to think about that, to thank God for that. The worship team is gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in a song and I wanna encourage you after you've prayed over this, after you've talked with God over this, that you would go ahead and take the bread and take the cup when you're ready and we'll close in a song together. Let me pray for us and then I invite you to take communion. Father God, I thank you first and foremost That Christ is sufficient that the death of Christ on the cross the body and the blood of Christ completely paid the price the cost for our redemption for our salvation for our forgiveness and there's nothing that we can add to the work of Christ it is finished it is done and I thank you that when our faith is in Christ you have extended a free gift of grace to us. But I thank you, Father, that that grace isn't just for delivering us to heaven, but it's also for today as we live. That we can live for Christ, that we can live like Christ, that even as we've talked about these five pieces of relational clothing, that Christ has provided those for us to, to put on, to bless our spouses, our kids, our co-workers, our friends at school, our neighbors, that we can wear this clothing and minister Christ to those around us. And I thank you, Father, that this is another gift that you've given to us because of the body and the blood of Christ. So as we partake of these elements today, may we do it both both soberly, remembering what it cost, but also joyfully, knowing that your Son went willingly, gladly to the cross, so that we might come to this place, this place of, of knowing that the grace of Christ and the promise of being able to walk in the power of Christ. And so now, Father, we celebrate both this bread and this cup, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.